call for, for Timothy from Paul to, to stand against certain per- people who were teaching different doctrines. So they were, he was to stand against these false teachers, uh, to defend sound doctrine. Uh, that, was, that was charge number one. We saw that in 1 Timothy uh, 1.3 where he says, I urged you, when I, urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So that's the first charge, right? But I think the second thing that he gets to right away, it's only two verses later in 1 Timothy 1.5, is, is maybe even the most, more important deeper theme of the book, which he says this, the aim of our charge in, 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 in contrast to the false teachers, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. So he's, he's holding up the difference between a genuine, sincere faith and those of the false teachers. Um, and, it's, and it's love that overflows out of a pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith. And, and, so, and so the question is, how do we do this, Paul? And so, and so for chapter 1 was this introduction to the letter where, uh, he, where he, he makes these charges for, uh, for Timothy. But then the rest of the book is, is getting into the practical, how do you do this? And we see that in 1 Timothy 1.5, not 1.5, 3.14, I'm sorry, 3.14. He says, I hope to come to you soon. But I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. So, it, so I want you, Timothy, to know how to lead the church there, how, how the household of God should behave, uh, so, to, so people will see the genuineness of our faith in contrast to these false teachers. And so in, we saw a, a, that, that, that switch in, in chapter 2, where he begins to get really practical, and he talks about... Um, about prayer in the first section, how we should be praying for all people. And then Josh covered these, the, the specific uh, teach, uh, instructions for men and for women uh, given there at the end of chapter 2. And, the, and they're, they're practical ways in which we are to guard ourselves against, uh, against sin and, and, and to uh, exemplify the gospel. And so now as we continue into chapter 3, there, there's no, it's no different. Like the, the, the purpose here is still the same, that, that we would uh, know how to behave in the household of God, that we may up, uh, uphold sound doctrine and show the world our true, genuine faith through love and unity in, in the church. And so we get into these two offices, the office of elder and deacon. And we read that in 1 first, in, in first Timothy 3.1. It says, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So before we get any further, let's go ahead and go to God in prayer. Lord, we need you. We need you every day, every minute of every day. But Lord, I just pray that as we've gathered here to draw near to you, that you would meet with us and do a mighty work in our hearts. I pray you call my, my, my nerves um, and just uh, speak through me, Lord, that these aren't my words, these are your words, and that they would go forth and do a work in your people, that we may be conformed to the image of your Son, that we'd go back out into this world representing you better and better, Lord, that, we'd be, uh, tra- uh, that we would represent you better every day, Lord. And that's this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I only just read one verse. That's it. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk about this one verse, but really I'm going to use it as a jumping off point because 
Uh, I don't normally do a topical sermon, and so this, this, that stressed me out a little bit. Um, but I felt it necessary today to do a topical sermon on what is an elder. Because Paul is talking to a church leader. He doesn't need to tell him or remind him what an elder is and what their job duties are. What are they about? But he, he knows, right? And so instead, he just says, these are the qualifications. As you're in, in implementing elders, these are the qualifications, but for us, for us, I thought before we get into the qualifications of an elder, I think it's, it's more important to know what an elder is and why it's so important that you have good elders, right? So we're going to take a step back and try to do a flyover um, review of what an elder is. And so that stressed me out because when you do a topical, I mean, you could go so many different directions, so many places. And so that, that was a little stressful for me. I wasn't tied to a passage so I tried to make it, one, informative, but two, also helpful and practical for everyone. Um, and like, that's what we're going to try to cover. So I, I hope you have some grace for me, because obviously I'm not going to cover everything you could talk about when it comes to elders. So we see in first, so we're going to, there was one thing we have to get out of the way right away. And that's in 1 Timothy 3.1. It says, this saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer. When you say, Pastor Reese, you said this was the qualification of elder. Like, what, what's an overseer and what's an elder? Well, as you read through the, through the scriptures, and, 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 I, and this needs to get out of the way, we've got to talk about this first, because I'm going to talk about a lot of different passages, and you're going to see three different words come up, right? The first one, I've already talked about, elder. You're going to see elder. You're going to see overseer. And the second, third is you're going to see, maybe, maybe not, Pastor. And I say maybe, maybe not, because it depends on your translation, because pastor is really Latin for shepherd. So some translations don't translate it to, to pastor, and they just leave it shepherd. So pastor, shepherd, it's the same thing. Pastor is just the Latin translation of shepherd. But those three words, you're going to see them in all the passages I'm going to be talking about. And so I want like, to start right off the bat by telling you, Pastor Josh and I believe all three of these different words are, for, are different uh, names for the same role, the same position, same job. And I'll start that by looking at 1 Timothy 1.5, I mean Titus 1.5, I'm sorry, Titus 1.5, because it's the, it's the other pastoral epistle, right? So, so he, he, uh, Paul left Timothy behind to put in order the church and to, and to, to appoint these elders and to, and to stand against false doctrine. And he also left Titus behind. And we read that in 1 Timothy, ah, Titus 1.5. And I'm trying to, yes, there it is. I tried to give you all the scripture because we're going to hit a lot of scripture. So I'm like, if I'm going to give you a lot of scripture, at least I can do is put it on the screen for you. Uh, sorry, Seth, I made your job hard this morning. But the, uh, so Titus 1.5 says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. There it is, elders. But if we continue reading, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. So he, he switched. He went from talking about elders to talking about overseers. He used them interchangeably. So we see right off the bat from there that elder is an overseer. An overseer is an elder. And you can also see that in Acts 20, but there was a lot more in there. I'm trying for the sake of time. I'm not going to hit that, but you can write that down and look that one up later if you want. And read through Acts chapter 20, and you'll also see those words used interchangeably. But I wanted to, get to use 1 Peter 5.1 because I just think it's so good. 1 Peter 5.1 says, and you're going to see all three of them here. I love this passage. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as, part, 
as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God. That shepherd, is, it's, just, it's the same word in Greek, just used as a verb, right? So now we've got elders and we've got shepherd. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And there it is, the overseer. It's the verb form of the same Greek word. So oversight, overseer. Elders, shepherd, overseer, right here in, in one passage. And I'll go ahead and finish that passage because it's so good. Not under compulsion, but, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not the domineering over those you, you, in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but give grace to the humble. That's great instruction to elders from First Peter. But we see that, the, that all three of these, these different words are used. Elder, pastor, and overseer. They're used interchangeably. Uh, and so now we can move on to what does an elder do? Right now we know the, word, the terminology for an elder. What does an elder do? And I think First Peter gave us the definition. I, I love what he says. If I could summarize it, he's saying, he exhorted the elder, elders, that, that's your position as an elder, to shepherd using God-given over, oversight. Right? That, that's, the th- that's the step right there. Your position as an elder shepherds the flock of God exercising oversight. And so let's just take them one at a time, these, these words, right? That elder. Let's start with elder. And I think we can learn a lot about what a pastor is supposed to be doing from the words themselves. So look at, let's look at elders first. The word elder. In 1 Peter 1.5, he says, I exhort the elders among you. And that word elder is presbyteros. And it means, you know, if I look at, looked it up in the Greek, my Greek concordance, a man of mature, uh, a mature man having seasoned judgment. A mature man having seasoned judgment. And so I get a lot of reading on Jewish culture of the day, right? And, 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 and elders in, their, in his, that historical context. And the elders, uh, in, in a, you know, an elder in, was a word used by the Jews to, to give, um, it's, it's a term of highest respect, put it that way, highest respect. And so the rabbis would have been referred to as elders. Um, and it would normally come with age, but someone who was younger that was wise beyond their age might also earn the title of elder. So it wasn't simply um, age. It was the wisdom that, uh, that really it denotes. And so in Judaism, they, they valued their elders, right? They viewed them as, as leaders, as repository of wisdom, uh, and they would go to them often. In fact, the elders would have been like a lot of like the consulting body of the city. And that's why in a lot of scripture, you, it, it says that the elders would sit at the city gate. And a lot of like community happened, uh, a lot of the city's things happened there. They'd have meetings uh, at the city gate. They would have, uh, they would make decisions and ratify you know, deals um, at the city gate with the elders, and so that word elder embodies with it both age and wisdom, a mature man having seasoned judgment. And so I think from that, we can, we can learn that elders are supposed to be further along, a more mature example to follow. And we see that in Hebrews thirteen seven. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith, right? So the elders, 
are supposed, you're supposed to be able to look at their life and say, I want what they've got, and I'm going to imitate their faith. Right? That's why the qualifications of an elder that we're going to get to next week are so important. They're supposed to be a mature man having seasoned judgment. And that's why, that's why every elder should be like Paul from Corinthians 11.1, 1, where he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Every pastor should be able to say that. Follow me as I follow Christ. And so that's the first thing that we can, we can see about an elder, is that an elder or a pastor, I'm going to go back and forth between those two words. Those are the most common ones we hear. We don't really hear overseer a whole lot. But an elder or pastor should be someone further along, someone that you can imitate. You can look at their life and be like, I want what they've got. The second thing I want to look at is, is, the, is this shepherd, pastor. The Greek word there is poimen, and it just literally means a shepherd or to feed and protect and rule over a flock, right? It's, it's literally the word shepherd. So what can we learn about a, a pastor or an elder from the word shepherd? And I think this is, um, I think the reason why, why we get called pastors more than elders is, is that a, a shepherd, there's a lot there. A shepherd does a lot. I mean, so, so you think about what a shepherd would have done back then. Um, I assume that it's, it's similar to now, but they would, have been, they would have fed the sheep by leading them to green pastures and to, and to, to still waters, right? Um, as, as David says about his, the, uh, his shepherd. The second thing is that he defends the sheep against predators like wolves and thieves, right? You know, you know David started off as a shepherd and, he, and he, he fought off lions and bears. He protected his sheep. You would, would, would care for the wounded sheep. You would spend time with the sheep. Uh, you know, a lot of times the, shep- the shepherds would actually sleep all night with the sheep. Both so that the sheep would, uh, so that you knew your sheep, but also that, so the sheep would know you, your voice. They would, they would feel comfortable following you. So you'd build that relationship with the sheep. And so from that, I think there's a lot that we can, we can, we can learn about the role of a pastor as we are called to shepherd the flock of God. Right? First is that we, are to, as pastors, are to, are to, to feed the, the sheep. Um, it makes me, reminds me of Jesus telling Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. Um, so we're supposed to use the ministry of the word to, share, uh, to, to feed the, 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 the flock of God on the gospel, on the word of God. Because uh, as, as Jesus said, man shall not live by, uh, by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Right? The word of God is our, fo- our spiritual food uh, that through that we might grow in our, our, our maturity. And the other thing is that defending the church against false doctrines and false teachers, uh, that's one of the themes of 1 Timothy. That's what we're, we're, you know, the, we're, we've been ta- discussing. Um, also, the, 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 the pastor is to look after the physical and spiritual health and growth uh, uh, of, the, of the flock through teaching and preaching, prayer, counseling, church discipline, whatever means necessary to look over the health of, of each individual in the flock. And that ultimately we must, as, as elders, spend time with the flock, uh, with the sheep. Uh, I, I read a, a really good book by Nine Marks on elders, and he said a good elder smells like the sheep. Like that's what a shepherd would have done. He would have spent so much time with the sheep, he would have smelled like the sheep. Uh, so you must get to know, we must build relationships and get to know uh, one another. And so there's a lot there, a lot, a lot that a, a pastor as a shepherd of God's flock does. Um, but ultimately, he needs that last one of overseer, which is episkopos. 
And it means to look upon, inspect, oversee, look after, care for. You know, it's this idea of you have, you have responsibility and oversight of something, right? And in order to, to, properly, to properly shepherd, you must have that, that authority. In order to, to, to fight off um, false teachers and in order to do church discipline on those that need it, you have to have that authority. But how are the, how are the elders to exercise that authority? Well, in, this path, in, in, in 1 Peter 5, it says in verse 4, well, no, in, I'll start in verse 2. 1 Peter 5, 2, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly and willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. There's that example again. But not domineering. Elders are to exercise authority as servant leaders. Ultimately, in verse 4, it says, and when the chief shepherd, the chief shepherd, he's the true pastor. Uh, Jesus Christ is Emmanuel's lead pastor. Jesus is our chief pastor, chief shepherd. He's our example. And and how did Jesus shepherd the church, right? With his life. Not selfish for selfish gain. He laid down his life for for the sake of the church. And so as, as, a, as a pastor or an elder, we are called to exercise authority as servant leaders, uh, not domineering, but following our chief shepherd's example. And so, so that was a very quick rundown of what a pastor's role is. But I want to make it somewhat practical this morning. How do we make that practical? Because you, you're probably looking at, at me being like, well, that's all good, well and good, Reese, but I'm not going to be a pastor. So how does this really apply to me? Well, I'm glad you asked. So in 1 Thessalonians 5.12, because uh, there is a few things that we, that, 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 that for you this morning. It says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. The first thing, there's three, I'm going to give you three, three, three ways that you should interact act with your elders. And the first one is with respect. Uh, the, the Word of God calls us to, to interact with our, those that are over you at, with respect. Um, and so it doesn't mean you don't have disagreements. It doesn't mean you don't always like them. But you can have disagreements. You can have discussions in a respectful manner. God calls us to be respectful. And, and remember, all of this is still in light of contrasting it to the false teachers, that our genuine faith would be on display for the world to see. How we conduct ourselves, if we're all in, in, uh, infighting in this, in this building, then someone out there is not looking in here being like, oh, there's something special there. You know, there's some miraculous thing happening there. No, they're arguing like everybody else in the world, right? So the, uh, the first thing we're called to do is, is respect. And the second thing is found in Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. The word obey, to me, seemed a bit similar to submit, right? So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to look at the Greek words here and see their definitions. So I love the Greek. I, like, I love the geek out and look at the Greek, but I hope... That, that, that I never give the impression that you have to. That looking at, like, your English translation is perfectly fine to, to be a mature believer in the faith. There is no need to constantly be looking at the, at the Greek. I just like to. So, so don't ever take that the wrong way. Um, but, the, uh, but the Greek, because, for example, I looked up the Greek for submit, and it just means submit. There's like, that was it. That was the Greek, that was the Greek definition. Um, now, but obey, there was a little bit something there because it means to obey, but it means to be obey because you've been persuaded of the trustworthiness, right? 
You, you, you agree to obey because you have been persuaded of what is trustworthy. And I think that, that that's a whole different, like that, that, that helps you understand, gives greater depth to that obey. You're not, you're not obeying like uh, gritting your teeth kind of begrudgingly. Like, no, it's, it's, you've been persuaded that, that you can trust this person. Um, and so that's the first thing is that we're to, to obey, but because we have trust and confidence in our pastors, right? Have trust and confidence in your pastors. And then it continues and submit to their authority. Submit to their authority. So and actually says, uh, because they could submit to their authority, they keep watch over you as men who must give an account. And I think that's huge. Because if you think about it, like sometimes, like if I'm at work and I'm dealing with, uh, with uh, my lead and I disagree with him, sometimes I'm able to be like, well, it's his neck on the line. So I disagree, but it's his neck on the line. I'm going to let him fall on his face. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, the, uh, it, because it's, it's, but ultimately it's, it's, it, it is. It's, 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 it's his neck on the line. So if, if he, we disagree, I can see why he'd want to do it his way. And so it's, it, in, in context here, it's saying submit to their authority because they're the ones that are going to have to give an account. They're going to stand before God and give an account. So as much as you can, Submit. And then, he, and then he has this uh, in verse, it continues, and it says, Obey them so that their work may be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be... Ah, I put it twice, sorry. Um, submit to them so that their work might be a joy and not a burden. Right? Did you know? Did you know that you have the ability to make the pastor's job a joy or a burden? How you choose to, to, to interact with your pastor greatly affects whether the, 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 the job is a joy or a burden. And Paul's like, it's not, I mean, Peter's, uh, actually it's Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews says that the, uh, there's no advantage to you. There's no advantage to you to make it a burden. So make it a joy. Make it a joy for your pastor. Bottom line here is that we're being called to submit to our pastor when at all possible. When it's not a matter of conscience, right? So if you don't like the color of paint we put on the wall, the new floor we chose for downstairs, you know, like it's not the end of the world. Go ahead and submit. Let, that, let the, the, the pastor's role be a joy when it's not a matter of conscience. But there may be a time where it is going to be a matter of conscience. But when it's not, let it go knowing they're going to be held accountable for how they've led. And they will be accountable. Hebrews 13, um, we saw that in in Hebrews 13. um, And it makes sense. Like, if you think about it, like, um, you know, if you you let your parents or or, or family member watch over your children while you go on a date or go out of town or something, do you hold them accountable for what happens to your children while you're gone? Absolutely. Absolutely. So how, how much more would God hold, us, hold the pastors accountable for his children, right? He has delegated uh, some authority to, the, to the, the pastors to watch over his flock, and he will hold them accountable. That's why James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. That's a sobering, scary thought. 
that we will stand before God and give an account uh, for how we shepherded and how we taught. So these elders lead, and we're called to, to submit to the, el- to the eldership, to the pastors. But do they lead with absolute authority? And the answer is no. Their authority is only what's been delegated to them in Scripture, and as much as what they have said lines up with Scripture, right? And that's why the, the, there, is, there is the possibility of having someone as a pastor that's, that's either in sin or not fit to be a pastor. And, that, and Scripture recognizes that. God knows that. And that's why in 1 Timothy 5.19 it says, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that they, the rest may stand in fear. So, right? So, Scripture isn't blind to the fact that you might end up with someone as a pastor who is not qualified to be a pastor or, or has fallen into some sin, right? It, it, makes, it makes it clear that, that that's a possibility. But one thing that, that was important here is that the process for rebuking an elder is that don't, don't believe it on, on one witness. And that makes sense, sense because the, the pastors are out, out front. They're leading the charge. So when, when, when we meet opposition from Satan, who's he aiming? Who's going to be taking more of the brunt? It's going to be the pastors, the, those the leading, leading the charge. You know, uh, 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. It's not an if or a maybe. It says, it says they will. So, so, so the pastors are going to take more of the brunt. And so it says, don't admit a charge against an elder on the evidence of two or, th- you know, two or three witnesses. It must, you must have multiple witnesses. Uh, it must be a sufficient evidence. But if there is, well, then he's dealt with, right? Publicly rebuke the elder because he, he, he holds a position of authority uh, and he, in, a, in a public way. And so it, publicly rebuke him. So the point, though, is that the elders are not above falling into sin. But there might be, must be sufficient evidence. And so I've seen some pastors abuse their authority. I've seen this. I grew up in a church um, in New Jersey that was very, very much, I think, on an unhealthy borderline, a borderline, a, uh, um, almost a cult. Like, that's how bad it was. But basically, you couldn't do things within your own home without first getting approval of the pastor. And if you didn't, you'd become the subject of next week's sermon. And everyone knew it. It was very awkward. Everyone knew who, who was the subject of that week's sermon. Um, it was unhealthy. It was very unhealthy. And, and the sad thing is, is I think that's a growing, a growing truth for a lot of people. Like, I, like as I've been helping with First Fridays and stuff, I keep, I'm having these interactions with people, and it just seems to be a reoccurring conversation. Oh, you're a pastor? I used to go to church, and they tell me about their bad experience they had and how they walked away from it because of it, right? And that might be you. Maybe you, you were burned by a bad experience where someone abused their authority in the church. And let me, let me tell you right now, I'm sorry. That, is, that was not okay, right? The church should be the safest place to be, I mean, I, we're all sinners, like, like, just like uh, sick people congregate at a hospital, you know, sinners congregate at a church, you know, but God is at work in us, and we should be maturing, and, and so it should be a safer place, um, but it happens, and I would say don't hold on to that, though. Give it to, give it to Jesus, who, who can heal you, and will hold that pastor accountable, and so I think there's two extremes 
that we, we tend to, 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 like, especially if you have been burned um, or, or, or fear of being burned by, by a, a, the, the authority of a pastor. There's two extremes, though, here. One extreme, as a backlash to this, uh, will, will go all the way the other way, which, which, and they try to remove all authority from a pastor, right? So you can get up on Sunday morning and you can explain the scripture, but you have no authority to, to church discipline or to call out false doctrine. You're, you're, just, you're just the person who, who reads the scripture every Sunday, and they withhold the, the, any authority from the pastors. But then the, the, the extreme the other way, which is also unhealthy, is where the, the pastor is held in such great, I, I put on some, such a pedestal that it's hero worship. Whatever the pastor says goes, whether it's scriptural or not, no one checks him. He has absolute authority. Like, it, it's, out, it's outrageous. Um, we're going to fight for this middle ground, this middle ground, where as, as shepherds in the church, we serve under the chief shepherd, right? We are accountable to God and to scripture. We're not above scripture. We only have the authority delegated to us in scripture. And so we strive for this middle ground where where we are to respect and trust and submit to the pastors all the way up until we can't, right? Until it becomes a matter of conscience, at which point you got to decide whether you're the odd man out and, and you, you just have a different something, you see something different and you're the odd man out and so this, for the sake of unity you walk away. Or is, this, is the pastor truly in sin and there's sufficient evidence, you get you know, multiple people together and you confront, right? Yeah, yeah, that you, you, you submit until it comes to, to, comes to that point. But we strive for that middle ground. And as we strive for that middle ground, I think there's three practical things that we can do to guard against a, an elder falling into sin. And the first is to have multiple elders, right? And, 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 and I, that's one thing I'm excited that we have here at this church. Um, it's, it's the first time I've actually experienced—well, no, I've been to a couple churches that had multiple elders. But, um, but I like how we've implemented here. I really do. Um, and we, but we see that it's a biblical theme in Acts 14.23, because all throughout the scripture, every time you see elders, most of the time, you see plural, plural elders. But here, in spe- specifically of Acts 14.23, it's very clear to me, when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. It says elders plural. It could have said appointed a elder for them in every church. But it says elders in every church, plural. So it seems to be a biblical you know, uh, precedent there that, we, that there'll be multiple elders. And I think that this provides some safety for the church. Uh, because as there's multiple elders, there's going to be different strengths and weaknesses. And we balance each other out, right? So where I'm weak, hopefully Pastor Josh is strong. And where Pastor Josh is weak, hopefully I'm strong. Yeah, balance each other out. Um, and, we can, and, then, and then the elders can call each other on their, on their sin, right? So we, as we do this together, we're, 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 in, we're in community together, and we can call each other on our sin. And then if one does fall to sin, or, just is, or, or dies, or moves away for whatever reason, the church can continue forward without missing a beat, because they have another pastor there to, to continue on. And it, it, mind, it reminded me of uh, about five years back or so, we had a... We had a a missionary come in here named Sam John. I don't know if anyone remember, recalls him, but I, I like to just, you know, chat with people afterwards. So I got talking to him for quite a while afterwards, and he, for the life of me, I'm struggling to remember where he's, where he's a missionary at, I, and I wish I remembered. But is it India? Thank you. Um, wherever, it, it, it's hostile where he's at, though. It's hostile to Christianity. 
he said that, that he was in the church and you would just see, you know, like you have your pastor, and all of a sudden your pastor's gone, right? They just take him and you don't see him ever again. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like what happens to his family? Like, how do you, how could you become a pastor knowing that you could disappear at any moment and you have kids, you have a wife and children. How do you do this? And he said that he's seen it, that as, as, as the, the pastor uh, is taken, the, the church rallies around the family and, and, and cares for the family and the next guy's up, right? And just, the next guy's in. When that, when that guy's gone, the next guy's in, right? And, and, and they've gone through multiple pastors at, the, at his church that way. I mean, that's scary. We're living in a, a, a place of ease. You know, there's so many uh, places in the world where being a Christian costs you something. Here, it's, it doesn't cost you much. Our persecution is light compared to what other people go through in the world. But we must be raising up the next generation of elders, right? There should be some other people that we're bringing along because you don't know what's going to happen to me. Whether I fall into sin, whether I die or, or, or get taken out, whatever, I don't know. But the next elder should be ready from the in, within our flock to just, all right, I'm up. All right, move forward. Next guy's up. Move forward. Right? And that's what that's Josh and I's prayer years and years and years from now, that the people that are leading this church were raised in this church, right? That we've raised up the next generation of elders from within our body. So multiple elders, very important. Second thing, practical thing that we can do is weigh the outcome of the pastor's way of life, right? Weigh the outcome. That's what Hebrews 13, 17 said. Remember, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, the writer of Hebrews is assuming that like, he must know that the, these leaders that he's telling them, the, the, like, so he's like, you can look at them and consider the, the outcome of their faith and then imitate them. But I think the reverse is also true, though. If, if, if we get someone um, in, in, in the pastor, pastorate that is, and you look at their life and it's falling apart, right? Maybe, maybe their marriage is on the rocks. They're in financial hard, hardship. Um, they're in, their integrity is becoming questionable. It's time to, to, to stop and be like, like, one, stop imitating them. But two, rally behind them and say, well, something's wrong. You, you, we need to help you. Like, there's something wrong here. And so we need to be doing what, what the writer of Hebrews tells us to do. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Are you modeling your life after someone without considering the outcome of their life? Right? Because maybe you need a new role model. Or maybe you haven't even given a thought to the person that you're modeling your life after. Some people do it by accident. Some people purposefully look at somebody and say, I want that, what they got. How did they get that? I'm going to model myself after that because I want it. And so some people make a conscious effort. Some people don't think about it. And then by default, they're modeling their life after somebody. So whether you've, you've chosen you're the person you're modeling yourself after or, or you're just at default, you need to stop and really consider and take a hard look at the outcome of that person's life and say, is that what I want from my, my, my life? Hopefully it is. Hopefully it is. I mean, and that's one of the main reasons why as parents, it's so important that we model a, a good Christian faith because our kids by default model us right? They follow us. And finally, the last thing I would say, the practical way that we guard against a, a pastor going off the rails is that every 
believer in the church weighs everything the pastor teaches against Scripture, right? And we see that in Acts 17.10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, that, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So I love that. I love that. Because it's two, there's two things that they did here. You know, a lot of times we, we focus on the, I'm fact-checking my pastor. Fact-checking him. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we, we kind of focus on that. But no, there's a first part is they received it with all eagerness, right? There was a, I want to hear. And they were, they were eager to hear. And then once they did, they followed up with, okay, well, let me, see, I want to see where, where that says it in here. I want to, you know, the, the, the heart wasn't, I'm going to fact check, check him and see if he's off anywhere. And I'm going to critique him. That, it, what, that's not the heart here. The heart is they wanted, they wanted to grow. They wanted to hear the word of God. And they were eager to accept it. But they want to, they're going to check too. They want to make sure they know, they know it. It's, it's, it's dangerous to have a hero worship where you, where you just accept whatever the pastor says as absolute truth and never, um, and never figure that out for yourself. Uh, and that's, that's why the, the Abide Journals is so important, that you're in the word yourself every day. Because otherwise, you're riding on someone else's faith. And, that, and that's something I, I learned uh, in college. Uh, kind of went through a bit of a crisis of faith. And I realized everything I believe about God has been handed to me. I don't believe it because I can defend that stance or I came to that conclusion. I believe it just because that was what I was told. And so I had to go through this, this whole, like, what do I believe? Do I believe any of this? And, you know, and I, had, I, I read the, God, the Bible through and, 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 just, and, and started reading on my own and formulating, wait a second, do I believe the things that I think I believe? And you need to be there. It's dangerous not to be there. Uh, definitely be, be eager to hear the sermon on Sunday mornings and then be in the Word of God, weighing everything against the Word of God. All right, so let's kind of sum up the takeaways here. Because the main point here is that the role of pastor is of great importance here. And, we're in, 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 and we needed to hit that first because we're about to get into the qualifications of, 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 a, of a pastor and, and why it needs to be taken so seriously. Because under normal circumstances, I do not think you should expect the, the, the congregation to outmature their pastors, right? But if mature men lead by example, exercising authority as servant leaders and, and, and shepherding the flock in that way, I think we should expect God to bless that, right? And to see growth. But if we allow pastors to lead, there aren't men of integrity, right? We risk them falling into sin, and like I've said before, sin's like a grenade. It's got a blast radius. But the greater your influence, then the greater that blast radius when you sin. So it, it, a pastor has a lot of potential to do damage. And so as we get into the sermon next week, as we, as we look at the qualifications of an elder, of a pastor, we need to give it of the utmost importance um, if we are to seriously guard the unity, the love, and the safety of Emmanuel. But when the, when the role of pastor is done right, and we have servant leaders in place, and the congregation is doing their part to trust their pastors, to submit to them, I think we show the world through our love, unity, and, and the, you know, we show them the genuineness of our faith. And they see there's something different in here than there is out there. And they want to be a part of it. Let's pray.
Lord, my God, I thank you for everyone in, in the family of God, every, every person in this room. I thank you for each individual personality, uh, each individual uh, gifting, Lord. Every one of them uh, contributes to the body of Christ. And as we've discussed this role of pastor, that's just one part of the body, um, but it is an important one, that you were, and you're going to hold that person accountable. And Lord, so I just pray that, that you, you will always guard the pastorate of Emmanuel, always place men of integrity, men of, uh, that, that desire to, to, to follow after our chief pastor and be servant leaders. And I pray that you would bless uh, your people as they respond in, 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 uh, in trust and submission to their leaders. And uh, we seek to, uh, to put our, our love and unity on display for the world to see, to show them there's something different in, in, in here than there is out there. I pray that we would never fall prey, uh, that Emmanuel would not fall prey to false teaching that causes that division and, 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 and dissension, uh, rivalries. Uh, Lord, but you would preserve our unity. And so I just pray that you would have your hand upon us as we leave, as we, as we go back into our daily lives, that you would help us to be light in this world, that you would help us to represent you well. And that's this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us, close our service without someone.